us that. Amen. Well, I'm going to go ahead and start with Scripture. Uh, I'm going to start, start with uh, Mark chapter 11, verse 15 through 19. And uh, it's a little bit, well, actually it's 14 through 20 it might be. I apologize for that. And the Bible says, and Jesus answered and said unto it, I'm sorry, unto it, no man eat fruit of thee thereof forever. And his disciples heard it, and they come to Jerusalem. And Jesus went into the temple and began to cast them uh, cast out them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. And he taught, saying unto them, Is it not written, My house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer? But ye have made it a den of thieves. And the scribes and the chief priests heard it, and sought how might how they might destroy him, for they feared him, because all the people was astonished at his doctrine. And when even was come, he went out to the city, and in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. Let us give thanks to the Lord today for the word and blessing us and also helping me to give you a better understanding if I tend to stumble. I'm just a man, but God is mighty. And he can bring it forth. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, Lord. You always bring good things to us, Lord. Lord, that we may learn from you and understand, Lord, the better way, the better life, Lord. We also know, Lord God, that you are a God of justice and you are a God of truth, Lord. And we want to stay within those boundaries, Lord, of your courts, Lord. That it may bless our hearts and our minds and our walk. But not only us, Lord, that those who will look upon us, Lord, that they may also walk in those paths. And we thank you for your blessing. And every said, everyone said in Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. And you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Praise God. I know some of you went to district conference and were there for a few days. I'm sure you got heavily blessed. It's always good to be around anointed people uh, preaching the word and giving you, uh, you know, more food for nourishment. The ear is always hungry for, for God if, we, if our hearts are ready for it. So the title of this message is A God of Justice, and I'm going to put a question out there. It says, is God more merciful or just? And I'm going to go through a few motions here, and you can start to determine <laughs> very quickly who God is in this case. On that, and I'm going to go, and again, after this, the scriptures, it says, on the unforgettable day, Jesus seemed to be very uh, everywhere at once he was flipping tables and benches leaving the trail of chaos in his wake men shouted in surprise and anger as they clawed at the air desperately trying to recapture doves jesus freed from their cages money changers crawled and grasped the coins scattered across the floor trying to keep their profits from rolling off off of sight jesus disciples scrambled for cover and ducked as the doves fluttered past past them no one wanted to be in the way as he was rushing furiously, this is the Lord Jesus, furiously, uh, and it says, about the court of the Gentiles. All eyes were focused on him. The indignation of his eyes mirrored the outrage in his heart at what was happening in the temple precincts. He took this personally. The, di the disciples had witnessed something similar three years earlier when Jesus chased merchants and money changers out of the temple uh, with a whip, and this is in John chapter 2, verse 13, 17, something that I be recently became aware of. Uh, it seems that Jesus had done this twice, and I didn't, I didn't capture that until I, had, I went back and I studied it just to make sure. But this call, the second time, was a call to repentance. Uh, oh, the first one was, I'm saying, but it seems that it didn't last. The religious profiteers returned, and so had Jesus. His passion for protecting the sanctity of the temple grounds had not lessened. He came back with that same authority. Temple life had not always been this way. At one time, sacrifices were sold and money exchanged at markets on the Mount of Olives. But the high priest Caiaphas, responding to pressure from the Jewish leaders, granted permission for these markets uh, to be relocated to the court of the Gentiles on the temple campus. We can only begin to imagine what the thoughts of the Jewish leaders were. Well, if they're going to do it, why can't we? God hasn't struck them down yet. So they decided to go with that marker. 
Overnight, a place that had been dedicated to prayer and worship was transformed into a shopping center. Gentile worshipers were crowded out by greedy merchants. The Jewish leaders seemed to be all right with this devolution. I think it's with devolution, sorry. In their eyes, these Gentiles interlopers were unfit to set foot in the temple precincts anyway. So again, they had started to do their part so that others could not come in. But Jesus was incensed, uh, is, is what the, uh, the note says. Isaiah 56, 7, for mine, sh- mine house shall be called an house of prayer for all people. God, Jesus came in opening up the doors, not only for the Jewish people, but also for the Gentiles that they may have an ability to come to pray. He looked around again as he did these, uh, as he was in that place, he was eyeing those money changers. If you can just imagine the merchants who were glaring at him with a malicious expression, just wanting to take him out. But in Mark 7, uh, 11, 17, I can only imagine, he said, you have made it a den of thieves. But when he said it, I wonder what that look was on his face. He didn't just say it. You have made it a den of thieves. I think there was something within him that he pointed at them and he looked at them. And it was the lion within him that came forth and said, I'm going to say this and you're going to feel that. And you're going to understand what I am saying. But for some reason, the first time that he did it, it didn't quite grasp their idea or their thoughts. So again, we have him saying it again. But in Isaiah 49, 1, 2, it says, listen, O isles, unto me. And hearken ye people from far. The Lord hath called me from the womb, from the bowels of my mother hath he made mention of my name. And he hath made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand hath he hid me and made me a polished shaft. In this quiver hath he hid me. And I think we know we're talking about Jesus here. The disciples then discovered that nothing seemed to be, to make sense, Jesus angrier than uh, he, you know, to be able to do these things, he goes in there and he doesn't like to put up with abuse and the injustice in the name of religion. The house of prayer was no longer what it was made and questioned, and, and the question remained, what was next? They did not realize that their master would soon suffer even worse abuse at the hands of the men who believed what they were doing was right and God's will. Reverence for holy things would soon become the pretense for the most honorable crime in history, the crucifixion of the Son of God. Jesus turned on his heel expressing that he was done here making his point and strode out of the temple as his disciples followed closely behind him. I find it interesting that at this point in time, I, the reason I mentioned the first portion of Scripture at the, he's at the, uh, he walk, he's walking towards a, uh, a fig tree. I think I said olive. It's not a, it was a fig tree. And he walks towards it, and uh, there's leaves on it. And the Bible says that he was happily when he got to it. And he cursed it. And immediately after he cursed it, he went into the temple, and he started to handle his business as what we just read. And then as he exited, he also realized that something had gone wrong. I'm sorry, something had happened. The apostles had recognized that the fig tree was no longer, uh, you know, it was no longer alive. It had dried up. Not only did it dry up, the Bible says that it dried up from the roots. And so I started to wonder, Lord, what, this, is a, this is, I believe that God always puts his word in a certain format for a certain reason. And people would think it's crazy for Jesus to, to speak to plants, but we see here and we understand that we believe God's word, that Jesus spoke to it, and it died it needed to die. It was his word coming forth. Uh, well, even though the tree was not of season, God still cursed it. So this, this fruit tree was not ready to give. But Jesus still cursed it. And in saying that, again, back into the wonder, he was declaring something. At least I believe he was. And this is the scripture that came to me. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. Preach the word. Be instant in season out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. We, if I believe we have read in the scripture where the Bible says that that what doesn't good, bring good fruit is going to be uprooted or it's going to be uh, chopped down and thrown into the fire. And so I just want to share with you today that God wants us to be ready in season and out of season. There's no time for us to be out of season. We're always ready for the coming of the Lord. Jesus was preaching to the choir when he walked into the temple. They didn't expect anything to be said to them. 
They knew that the word and uh, uh, they knew the God, the word of God, and they knew the commandments of the Lord, and they went against it anyway. We should always be ready. So again, I repeat the question: Is God more merciful or just? He is both. <laughs> he is both. And here he comes. I personally believe he is more just. He's a more just God, and here's why. And still merciful at the same time. And because he is just, we acquire his mercy and grace because he makes it available to us. It is his justice that allows his mercy to come forth. His mercy is there, and that's true. But before he set the foundations of the earth, there were things that Jesus, the Lord, had to do. Everything was measured out, and that was just. We weren't existing yet. And that's how I justify this one. I personally believe that. The re the, a quick review of the Bible will show us how much God cares about justice. The Hebrew word for justice, mishap, or mis mishpat, um, uh, appears 421 times in the Old Testament and is frequently translated as the judgment in the King James Version. And if you are a believer, you should take, you know, take care uh, to... Uh, Concern yourself with this and say, you know what, I do want to know what this word means because if we don't, then we are going against what God believes because he is the God who wrote the book, the book of justice for us. We want to be under it. Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 4 describes the Almighty by declaring, he is the rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are judgment, a God of truth, and without iniquity, just and right is he. There's a man by the name of Timothy Keller. This is a quote. It says, a spirit-filled believer, we must also, if, I'm sorry, as a spirit-filled believer, we must also be just, which includes giving people what they are due, whether, and he put punishment or protection for care. Now, I don't completely agree with that. I believe that the Bible does say that vengeance is my Sith the Lord, and I'm going to stay with that. I'm going to go with that. Uh, but again, this is, this is another person's mind. There's nothing wrong with that. The Bible does rebuke someone, though, if they transgressed against you. It, it tells us to do that. But the book of Proverbs promotes the pursuit of justice in daily life, including in the marketplace. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 1 reads, A false balance is abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. Most of us uh, probably no longer use uh, weights or balances uh, at our jobs, but there is definitely a timeless call for honesty in the business. Just because we're hidden from or the eyes of the, those that cannot see us doesn't give us the right to uh, do things that are ungodly or wrong, unknowingly or knowingly, per se. We should participate. We should also participate. We should not participate. Sorry about that. In any business transaction that knowingly takes advantage of others, especially the poor and needy. Some careers, again, uh, and th these are notes. Some careers, I, and I wrote them down because I thought they were good. Some careers should be off limits to believers for this reason. Christians should serve in positions of leadership or authority. Also, it says, must treat their employees, co-workers, and customers fairly and with respect, regardless of the circumstances or any personal disagreements or difference that may exist. So we don't have an excuse. If we have the Holy Ghost, these are commandments from the Lord. We cannot mistreat and abuse others and expect to disciple them to Jesus. That's one of the biggest ones that I actually crossed recently because I did have something like this happen to me. And I said, you know what, how can I even talk to this person about Jesus anymore? So I had to mend that and make sure it's right. Now, you heard me say that I have to mend that. It's not mended yet, but it will be in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. Psalm 146, chap, uh, verse 7 through 9 elaborates God's justice by declaring he upholds the cause of the oppressed. Which, and then again, uh, I'm going to verse 7, which execute, he execute, which executes judgment for the oppressed, which giveth food to the hungry. The Lord looseth the prisoners. And then in verse 8, the Lord openeth the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises them that are bowed down. The Lord loveth the righteous. The Lord preserveth the strangers. He relieveth the fatherless and widow. But the way of the wicked, he turneth upside down. Jesus did turn the world upside down when he was out here uh, doing his part, as well as the 12 apostles when they were out here 
Now, Jesus, obviously, uh, when he ascended, he left the apostles by themselves, but they, he, gave, he, he said, I must leave so that the comforter can come. And when they had the comforter, they were able to do these things that were supernatural, not that they couldn't do it when Jesus was there, but the only time they did it when Jesus was, was there is when Jesus commanded them to do it. And in doing so, perhaps their faith was not, uh, I'm going to say, uh, great enough. And I'll say that because we also find in the Bible where the apostles are saying, hey, this one is doing things in your name, Lord. Shall we tell him to stop? He says, no, because if he's not against us, he is for us. Let him do my work. So in that sense, you know, I don't want to say the apostles didn't have any faith. Obviously, they did. Otherwise, they wouldn't be with Jesus. But perhaps the Lord didn't allow them to go any further at that point in time, at least for a moment. He wanted to teach them, teach them more. Uh, God's justi- just, I'm sorry, justice is greatly demonstrated by the works of Jesus. The Lord performed many miracles for the benefit of the poor and oppressed, including widows. This also included people who were sick, those who were cast out of society, such as lepers, or for whatever reason someone decided to make up. Jesus and his followers believed in the practice Believed in and practiced justice. Just as the Lord went to the poor, the sickly, or anybody else that was welcomed and ignored, so did the apostles also do the same. They learned from their teacher. As we who walk here, hopefully those who uh, walk beside us and with us will learn from us. This was part of the pattern that would be imparted into them after they were filled with the Holy Ghost. And again, I mentioned here, yes, they did, they did do uh, miracles and signs, you know, when Jesus was with them. But again, he sent them out. He gave them that authority. And the Bible confirms that. We find that in the book of Acts in chapter 3, Peter, uh, John and Peter are at the temple, excuse me, at the hour of prayer. And in verse 1 through 10, the first miracle of the apostles takes place. And we know this, and uh, Lexi actually talked about this on Thursday, so this is a... Uh, We'll call this a confirmation. Amen. <laughs> but the lame man is, uh, is laid daily at the gate. He's at the temple. And this is the temple we know is called the beautiful. And as he lays there, uh, Peter and uh, John are there. And this lame man is looking at them. And as he comes to them, uh, they're, gonna do, they're obviously going to do something because the approach is there. But the, as he expects them to give him something, Peter says to him, silver and gold have I none. But such as I have, give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. He declared the first miracle. Peter had the possession of the gift that was given to him, and he wanted to be a blessing. And in verse uh, 7, and it says, and he took him by the right hand. It didn't just, he didn't just, didn't just leave him there. He took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. Again, he's reaching down. He's pulling this man. He's praying for him. And he grabs him from his arm and he pulls him up. And the Bible says he's leaping and he, and he upstood and, and he walked and he entered with them. The Bible, he walked and he, he brought him to church. Imagine that. He, he took him all the way. They brought him with him. And he took them in walking and leaping and praising God into the temple. And everybody that was there saw it. And in seeing that, something began to happen. In verse 10, it says, And they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement and that which had happened unto him. There was a a jerk in the spirit of everybody that was there to see the miraculous works of God. And so I believe it does happen here as well. When when something happens to one of us, it jerks our heart, but nobody else knows of it. But when you declare it and you start to testify, all of a sudden everybody starts to be, uh, begins to be moved. Good example, Sister Cheryl gave a testimony. It moved me to do what I needed to do. And I give God praise for that. Acts chapter 3, verse 11 through 12. And it says, as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John. You know, you hear that he held on to them. He didn't let them go. These are the leaders that have just begun the church. All the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's Greatly Wondering. Here they are. So you see a group of people running to a church because somebody prayed for someone, and the Spirit of God moves, and here everybody's come. They want a piece of this. A man that was forgotten and not paid much attention to, then now became the spectacle of the moment. Everybody who was there saw this and rejoiced. 
A man who could not walk for, from his birth all of a sudden was walking, jumping, and praising God. Peter immediately, though, however, gave glory to God. It was not me. I was, it was Peter's desire to please God. And even though it was Peter who denied Jesus three times, he, I believe he had learned his lesson for that thing, I think. And it says in verse 12, because everybody was looking at him and he kept thinking, I've got to say something. It wasn't me. And verse 12 says, and when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, ye men of Israel, why marvel you at this? It's, it's not me. He says, it says, or why look ye earnestly on us as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? It was nothing that I had did. Now, he was faithful to obey the, the, uh, the orders of the Lord, and because of that, and of course he was also appointed by God, God was able to work through that. Peter knew his audience, and he made them aware and clarified by whose power this had been done. And then in Acts chapter 3, verse 13 to 14, and Peter went on to declare it, the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, had glorified his son Jesus, whom ye delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But ye denied the Holy One and the just. Everybody say just. That's Jesus. And desired a murder to be granted unto you. Peter made sure with scripture to declare that, that the same God who was, still is, and he is the one who has done this, and his name is Jesus. Amen. In that same manner, God can do things for us, but the Bible does say that we have not because we ask not. And God knows better than we do of the things that we need. Amen. So we can't get angry with God. If I get a chance, I'd like to share a story with you towards the very end, if I get a chance. If not, that's okay. But going on, God used Peter to re, uh, refocus their, uh, theirs as well as our thoughts, and I'm talking about the now, to the needy throughout this first encounter. A truth about God, Jesus cares about the abuse, particularly those who have been abused in his name. Jesus makes known, they're going to hate you because of me. God's justice of judgment cannot be escaped when there is iniquity in our lives, at least not for, at least not for unrepented sins. The prophet Mike, Micah asked the question, many of us may have asked, whether with shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? This is Micah 6.6. 6. Micah then described in detail a list of extravagant offerings and sacrifices including thousands of rams and ten thousands of rivers of oil. Micah asked if God requires us to sacrifice everything, including our firstborn. He was throwing that out there. The question, these questions were rhetorical because God does not ask us to give what we don't have. You can't give something you don't have. And I'll repeat it. You can't give something. God does not ask us to give something we don't have. None of us have access to ten thousand rivers of oil. Amen. And God is not impressed with an outward show of worship and sacrifice that tries to mask the stench of a disobedient heart. God can see through all this. Jesus quoted the prophet Isaiah when he said of the religious leaders of his day in Matthew 15, chapter 15, verse 8 through 9, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me. Jesus was just making a point. He says, I want you to be, when you come and you worship me, I want you to be right. I want your heart to be right for me so that that, that worship and that praise, I, I, I want to enjoy that. It's a type of food for the Lord. I'm going to put it that way. Later in the same gospel, Jesus again confronted the Pharisees about their practices of tithing on the herbs. They grew in their gardens, their fastidious, I'm sorry, anyhow, approach uh, to giving many I'm sorry, uh, giving may have been uh, commendable. In other words, what they gave was, is, is probably good. But they were ignoring what Jesus called the weightier matters of the law, which was judgment, mercy, and faith. In Matthew 23, 23, Jesus reminds that Micah said what Micah said to the children of Israel. And, they, and I'm going to bring this in, see if I can uh, get it here quick. Micah chapter 6, verse 8 reads, He hath showed thee, O man, 
what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. Personal holiness and morality are important, but they do not excuse a lack of care and concern for others. Sacrifice in one area does not make up for disobedience in other areas. In the Bible, we know that uh, Micah is referring to, well, if we were familiar with the scripture, Micah is talking to the children of Israel of a time when, uh, when the, the uh, King Balak, Balak was asking um, a prophet, I should say, uh, let me see if I can find him, I thought I had him here. He's asking him anyhow to curse, to curse um, Israel. And in doing so, uh, you know, God tells him no. He says, no, I'm not going to do, I don't want you to, as a matter of fact, I don't even go with them. And so as he's doing this, uh, somehow, somewhere along, along the lines, he's, he's questioned and he continues to ask questions. And God finally says, uh, towards the, the very end, he's, he's talking to him. He says, these sacrifices, they're no good to me. And, and the way he says that is because Micah is, is the prophet at that moment in time. And he's telling them because he, they set up three different areas. And in those three different areas of sacrifices, there were three, um, I'm sorry, seven altars at the first time. They went to another place, seven altars again, because the first one, God said no. The second one, God said no. And the third one, God was still going to say no. But what ended up happening was that uh, the prophet went ahead and said, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and bless them because that's what God wants me to do. And he did. Now, the king wasn't happy with it, but eventually uh, it turned his world upside down because he was expecting to be able to overcome uh, this, you know, Israel, and it wasn't for him to do that. At that point in time, Israel was walking right in the eyes of the Lord, and God was not going to allow. God is not going to come against those who are walking right in the eyes of the Lord. And that was what I took from that at the very beginning. But there's a second portion I'd like to share again if, if I get that chance. In today's culture, it is the norm to express good thoughts to others over social media. As noted, it has become the substitute of I'm praying for you. But good thoughts only benefit the person who thinks of them. Good words are not much more effective. Even prayer is not a valid substitute when we could take reasonable action to help someone in need. God requires us to do justly. This would be a just thing to do. Not just think it, not just talk it, or even just pray about it, but also be more active in it. The New Testament writer James pointed out that if we meet someone who lacks food and clothing, it is not helpful to say, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled. James chapter 2, verse 16. I'm praying for you does not lessen the feeling of hunger. There is, amen, there's, there's, there's only one, one solution, and it's to fill the stomach of the hungry person. I mean, I personally have come across this, and I've tried to feed them, but they didn't really want food. They wanted money, and I understood that. But again, I offered them to feed them, and they, didn't, they denied it. If we have the power to meet the need but refuse, our faith is dead. James concluded this in, again, James chapter 2, verse 17. Is a if a person is capable of meeting his or her own needs but refuses to do so, and this is, a, of course, their own, that is another case. In other words, if they don't want to feed themselves, it's, 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 their, it's because they don't want to. It, that's out of your hands. They've got to want to be able to help themselves is what that this means. Justice in, is an act, not a feeling. Justice involves rolling up our sleeves and getting personally involved in relie relieving the suffering of the world. Uh, Lisa Sharon Harper, a co-founder and executive director of uh, New York Faith and Justice, said, Justice is a way of showing the world what heaven looks like. If we want to bring heaven to earth, we must start by pursuing justice. Amen. James New Faith was in the works. It is God's just justice fulfilled through the when you act out the scriptures, not in just the need to uh, do it idea, but you want to do it. In other words, I think I should do this because it's the right thing to do. You should feel it in your heart. I want to do this because God wants me to. It's it's a love. It's a love. It's a love emotion. Even and I'm, I'm going to say it, it is an emotion. This justice is driven by compassion. 
When we recognize how merciful God has been to us personally, it will produce the proper attitude we need to do the work of the true of true justice. The true understanding of mercy will keep us from arrogantly dismissing the downtrodden hurting hurting as losers. And I'm talking about the, the people who have been trodden down. I'm sorry, who just need to work a little harder or make better choices. In other words, if somebody makes a mistake, we don't go down and pound them down and say, well, you just should have done a little bit better. If they're trying, we want to encourage them. That's who we are. We are a people of encouragement. Amen. God encouraged me. <laughs> I have people in here encouraging me. So this is a good thing. It's always a good thing. Praise the Lord. Those who do justly know that if it were not for God's grace and mercy, our story could not be much different. A just person knows that God loves hurting people regardless of how they look, talk, smell. Uh, just people express genuine sympathy and concern for others, including taking action to meet their needs and relieve suffering. This is the major job for us is try to help take that pressure off any way we can. Sometimes it's prayer and sometimes it's food. And sometimes it's giving somebody a ride somewhere. We should remember the words of Jesus in Luke 12, 48. Unto whomever much is given, of him shall be much required. One of those requirements is showing mercy, grace, and compassion to those who have not enjoyed the same blessings that we have. Amen? Again, this brings us back to full circle to the temple in Jerusalem. When Jesus confirmed the merchants and the money changers, he directly assailed, he was, he was aiming at them, the most powerful religious family in Jerusalem. According to the Jewish historian Josephus, uh, Annas, the son of uh, Sethi, had been appointed high priest by the Roman governor, Cyrenius. And in eight to nine years, uh, uh, Annas built a thriving business that came to be known as the Booths or bazaars of the sons of Annas. And this is where the... This is where all the selling of, uh, of the, uh, how should I say that? I almost said agriculture, not the agriculture, but of the, uh, of the sacrifices was. The booths, these booths of Annas had a monopoly on sale of sacrificial animals, and they conducted their lucrative trade in the court of the Gentiles. When Jesus cleansed the temple of this corruption, Annas felt the sting mainly in his wallet. So it's not always a bad thing to feel a sting in the wallet because maybe God is cleansing us of something for some odd reason. Amen? I know I felt it. It's not a bad thing. Annas, Annas Caiaphas, and the rest of these, uh, of their cartel were wicked men who did not mind exploiting worshipers for personal gain. But Jesus did not share that attitude. In quoting Isaiah 56, 7, Jesus reaffirmed that God intended his house to be a place of all nations, house of prayer. Mark eleven seventeen. Jesus did not abuse anyone, but neither was he afraid to confront those who refused to repent. God kept his, his grip. Jesus fought on the behalf of the excluded the, and marginalized to make sure they had access to God. The house of prayer needed to be reconstructed in the eyes of the people. Prayer is necessary for everyone who seeks God uh, and to find Jesus. Jesus took a stand not only for what he declared, but also because it was greatly needed, as I said earlier. Jesus' instance, uh, I'm sorry, insistence that his house be called a house of prayer illustrates there can be no true justice without prayer. In other words, we need to pray to get proper justice, but we also need God's word to get that justice. We cannot even know what justice is until we have that first, uh, we have first sought God. Without prayer, humanity's pursuit for justice will be corrupted. Even today, some demands of justice are little more than a tiny veiled desire for revenge. And I think I said earlier, uh, the Lord said, we, we are not to take any kind of revenge. There's anybody. Uh, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Praise the Lord. True justice is not making someone else suffer payback for our own hardships. Our parents and our grandparents have, uh, I think, taught us that, a lesson or two, that two wrongs don't make a right. We should be more spirit-led and so that we can... You know, again, lead people to Jesus. Our passions uh, to, to bring people to God should be stronger than our passions to uh, hurt people and cause a perversion in their, perversion in their lives to stray away, from, stray away from God. We must have good intentions. We need to pray if we are to have God's perspective on, the passion, on, on and passion for justice. 
If we do not pray, we will be tempted to sweep injustices under the rug, especially if have not impacted us directly. So if something doesn't affect me, I'm just going to pretend it never happened. This is doing things unknowingly and also knowingly, though. It goes both ways. Pursuing true justice can be difficult and painful. It often seems easier to ignore problems than to deal with them. Pursuing justice is rarely convenient. It makes people uncomfortable. It can cause misunderstandings. Only through prayer does the Holy Spirit give us the desire to deal with injustices and the wisdom to resolve them in a godly manner. And I can completely understand this. We have to be of good spirit before we deal with anything that we may have controversial to anything that might be. Dealing with injustice, acknowledgments of our past will help us to deal with the world, uh, with worldly injustice. Just as God warned Israel that they would enjoy blessings he had prepared for them when they finally entered the promised land. But they would need to continually remember where they came from. And I think we know this in scripture that the Lord continually said, do this in remembrance of this. And, uh, you know, the, the uh, booth of tabernacles, that's, that's one of them. Uh, they, they go out there and they remember when they were delivered out of Egypt. Uh, then also Hanukkah is another one. For those who don't know, Hanukkah is celebrated because of something that happened in the Jewish culture. Now, it wasn't commanded by the Lord, but the Jewish people took it upon themselves. We're going to do this. The purpose of this exercise was to continually remind the people of Israel to show compassion to, and to administer justice on behalf of foreigners and the less fortunate. We should do the same. Sadly, Israel soon forgot this critical lesson. Someone said, we one as Pentecostals are only a few generations removed from worshiping under brush or Arab, I'm sorry, arbors while being pelted with rotten fruit. Pentecostals were mocked as holy rollers and accused of being devil-possessed and insane. Let me fix that. Sadly, today, that still goes on. It, that has not ended. Let me just say that I have... Uh, witnessed it myself it's been said to me many early pentecostals were poor uneducated and lacked social standing but god's power more than compensated for their lack of prestige entire families were forever changed by the pentecostal experience that that then and still happens today as the years passed and i say that because my family is an experience of that brush arbors and i said as the years passed brush arbors were replaced by the state-of-the-art church facilities, you're sitting on one today, featuring the latest innovations. Amen? Amen. The people on the pews went to college and landed great jobs. They all did great things. And, of course, the one thing, achievements are great. They're good to celebrate. But let us not forget where we come from. Because we, whoever is out there, whoever's trying to get in, whoever, and I'm saying into the church, uh, we were not so distant from that past. And God does tell us to remember that. With God's help, we will stay humble and grounded. Our churches will be places where everyone can find love and compassion, regardless of race, race, I'm sorry, ethnicity, social status, or economic resources. God does not show us favoritism, and neither can we. He is a God of justice, and we must imitate him by giving the people who have been wronged and loved and support they are due. There's a bit of a church history here. <laughs> This is, a, this is a small one. A church history includes many examples of men and women who dedicate their lives to ministering to the less fortunate, the hurting, and the abused. A.B. Simpson, a Canadian-born Presbyterian pastor and theologian, is one such person. Simpson's story as an inspiration to many who takes Jesus' command to minister to the least of these seriously. After graduating from Knox College in Toronto, Ontario, and went to Ontario, Simpson began serving in a series of pastorates. He served in Hamilton, Ontario, uh, Louisiana, Kentucky, and in 1880, he was called to serve as pastor of 13th Street Presbyterian Church in New York City. This was a prestigious post with an annual salary of $5,000. When adjusted for inflation, that would equate to a six-figure salary today. This is where immigrants were pouring in from it. They were pouring in. There were newcomers, and he, was, he had experience with this because he was an immigrant himself. He knew the situation. They didn't know the ways of the United States, and I would say the, the American customs. But being a poor immigrant coming from that, 
he wanted to approach this group and he wanted to minister to them and he wanted to help him. But when he went to bring a hundred people into the congregation, leaders of the church did not want those people coming in here because it was going to bring the, uh, and I don't know how to say, it was going to bring, degrade, I guess their mindset was our church and the rich people are not going to want to come in. He was disgusted as this. He was he was not happy to hear this. So he, later on, of course, he found himself in a place where he left it, and he ended up opening up his own church. Uh, his passion for reaching the world only continued to grow. Simpson dreamed of serving as a missionary in China, but because that wasn't able to come to fruition, he decided he was going to, whatever gifts I have now, I'm going I'm to use them here right now, this moment. And he did. And in 1887, he founded what would become known as the Christian and Missionary Alliance, a missions organization that still operates today. In this church, a comfort place is the church a comfortable place where only people just like us are welcome? Or do we have room for the hurting and the outcasts, the people no one else wants? Are we willing to love and serve those who have faced injustice and abuse in the hands of, the, of this world and even the hands of our other churches? To what lengths are we willing to go to make it happen? How we answer that question may determine how much we really want to be like Jesus. Micah 6.5. Oh, my people, remember now that Balak, king of Moab, consulted. And what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him from Shittim unto Gilgal, that ye shall know the righteousness of the Lord. Wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with the calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with a thousand rams or then, uh, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the first of my body for the sin of my soul? He has showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee? But to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly, with thy God. The Lord's voice crieth unto the city, and the man of wisdom shall see thy name. Hear ye the rod who hath appointed it. And there yet the treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked, and the scant measure that is abominable. Shall I count them pure with the wicked? Balances and with the bag of deceitful weights? For the rich men thereof are full of violence, and the inhabitants thereof have spoken lies, and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. God was making a declaration through Micah. He said, there's nothing that you can give me for me to ignore what you have done wrong. But I'm going to give you an example of what happened in the past, of how people tried to come against, you know, uh, try to come against my people. Not that he was declaring that his people were wrong at that time, but sadly it did after the fact. And God took that, took that notice and he presented it to the people of Israel and he presented it that they would understand that there's a God that he is a God of justice. He doesn't forget anything and that he wanted them to repent. In that same fashion, Jesus died on the cross so that we may be able to find ourselves closer to him. Not that we could just be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and be filled with the Holy Ghost and go about our lives and say, hey, it's all done. No. We're supposed to continue to walk in that name so that we don't take that name in vain because we do serve a just God, but we also serve a merciful God. He loves us and he does care for us. He won't deny you if you come to, to his feet and say, God, forgive me for what I have done. But like I've said before, there is sin. If it's unrepented of, God can't forgive it. He only forgives that what is brought to him. And if you don't remember, say, Lord, do what David did. Seek my heart, Lord. See if there be any unclean thing in me, Lord. Cleanse me, Lord, with, cleanse me, Lord, with hyssop, Lord Jesus. Make me as white as snow. Though my rags be as crimson. God is a good God. In doing so, would you stand to your feet today? Give God praise for the things that he has done for you. Remember the past just for a little bit and say, God, I remember where I was, whatever years it was ago. For me, it was about nine. I said, I know where I was. 
I was in a sinful nature. I was drinking alcohol. I was partying, staying out late, not caring about my children, actually my, my son. But now things have, have changed for me. I take that back. My kids were with me as well, Delilah and Armand. But you know what? I made a choice, and God, God blessed me for that. My kids are now baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. And they look down, and they say, that's my dad. Dad, can I'm not going to, I don't want to do that, Dad. And I said, that's okay. That's okay. They, they listen because they know that what I want to give them is good. Just as what Jesus wants to give us is good. It's for our salvation. It's to make it to heaven. And if we make it there because we have abided by his word, then guess what? You got nothing to worry about because he's going to cover you. He can say, hey, you came to me. I heard your cries. I put my arm around you when you didn't know it. I embraced you. I took you by the hand and I pulled you up. I healed you. If you feel that today, if you know that you need a healing, I'll tell you, raise your hands unto the Lord. He is good here. He is good to us. He wants to heal you today. He wants to move in your heart. He doesn't, want to he doesn't want to press you down. He wants to deliver you. He wants to pull you out of that dark place where you thought you couldn't come out of. But I'm going to tell you something right now. The devil's a liar. He's a liar. He, he can't keep you down. Call the name of Jesus. Lord, cover me with your blood. I plead the blood of Jesus over my heart, my mind, and my soul right now, God, that you, Lord God, will deliver me. And he will. Praise the Lord. You sing with us here today. Give God praise to God. Make me a house of prayer. Yes, Lord. A house of prayer. Lord, make me a house. Make me a house of prayer. A house of prayer. Will you clap your hands unto the Lord right now with a voice of triumph? Lift your voice up. Hallelujah. If you know that he's delivered you from something, if you know that he's come to your rescue, I'll tell you what, if you're here today, he's come to your rescue more than once. I know that he's come to my rescue numerous times, 
Sometimes it's by the day, by the day. I said, God, you did it again? Well, yes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be with you. And all we have to do is stay in that house of prayer. Praise the Lord. Worship the Lord. Praise him with your heart. Amen. You know, we find here, and I'm, I'm going to share it real quick. Uh, it's Balaam. Balaam was the prophet. I couldn't remember. Just my mind tends to go. But here's Balaam fighting against his donkey, and his donkey is trying to take him to a place. And the Bible says that the donkey, he smit the donkey three times. Three times. And then God said, I'm going to make it speak. And he made it speak. And you know what the donkey says? Why are you hitting me? What have I done to you? He says, have I always been faithful to you? He says, yes, you have. Then what is going on here? And the Bible says that he opened the eyes of Balaam that he may see. He couldn't see the angel of the Lord there. This donkey did three things. First of all, he walked him out into the field so he wouldn't go that way. Then he pushed him against the wall, crushed his leg. Some of us need our legs crushed every now and then, right? Just one foot at least, just so we limp a little bit. It slows just a little bit down. And the last one, the Bible says that the donkey just went straight down. Why was this happening? This donkey that was his faithful servant was protecting him from death. If he would have gone straight, the angel of the Lord would have slain him. But this donkey knew something that he didn't know. I'm going to protect my servant. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to protect my master. He was the servant. He was protecting the master. How many of us want to protect our masters? Let us protect our master. Let us protect his name. Let us bring glory and honor unto him. God is good that way. Let's, you know, the Bible says that we, we bring the praises. We bring praises unto him. Not, not saying that God can't protect himself. He can. But we need to be able to understand, what is it, Lord, that you want me to do? Well, he says, I'm riding on you right now. What are you going to do for me? You know, if you take it the other way around, Jesus did die for us, right? He did die for us. He took our burdens. The donkey took the burdens. And every single thought that I have, the Bible says that the ass knows who his master is. Jesus rode on an ass. And here have one, we have one that is protecting his master from being killed. I consider myself an ass today. I want to protect you because I love you. I care for every single one of you. Those who are even watching through, the, through our media, let me be that donkey today. I know it sounds foolish. Nobody ever wants to be a donkey, right? Who wants to be a donkey? I'll be the donkey today. I might crush your foot a little bit. I might run you into the field just for a little bit. But trust me, it's to protect you. God's word is to protect us. This is what this is. It's not even me. It's the word. The word. I'm going to show you the word. I'm going to take you with this. Here's what God is telling us to do. Let's go to the right just a little bit. Just a little bit for a little while. Not all day long, just for a little while. And when God has his way, he's going to deliver us out of this place. Amen. Praise the Lord. God bless you all. Come back with a heart of worship. Come back with a heart of praise. There's a God who deserves it, a God of justice, a God who gives us mercy. If you're watching through the media, God bless you here today. I hope this word ministered to you. And join us back for an, out, an outpouring of the spirit of the Lord today. In Jesus' name, we're moving into prayer. Praise the Lord. God bless you all.